Welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Isn't Working. This is part two of a conversation that I had with my good friend, uh, Eamon. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to it before this one because he does such a great job of, of setting the scene and being vulnerable. And this segment, by far is the most impactful in my opinion but part one is so necessary to understand uh, the depths and heights of part two Uh, I do want to thank again my guest Eamon who is incredibly brave and honest in sharing his journey uh, with me and also with all of you I hope you gleaned some some wisdom Um, maybe a little understanding, maybe some empathy, definitely love, um, gratitude, all that good stuff that comes from, you know, hearing somebody that has really, really battled with, with addiction and with the, the, the underlying trauma that, uh, usually accompanies that addiction, um, and Eamon has been completely transparent. I edited a little piece out that he asked me to, but otherwise this is um, completely the conversation, uh, and it was incredible. I think it maxed out at about three hours, so likely the next segment after this one will be the last one, Um, but I hope that you enjoy it, Um, not just for entertainment, but, you know, in the sense that every person really is an image bearer of the architect of the universe, whatever you call that, whatever you refer to that as. Um, and that, that's been a big reinforcing idea and concept for me personally, but also uh, Eamon just kind of describes it so well in this part so I hope you enjoy um like the flu also but also like if you imagine if you were like a woman on her period really bad cramps and stuff but also had like the flu at the same time wow I like that and you and and to make it worse, it's it's worse than all of that because you know there's a thing that can make it go away. Yeah. So like you can never just you. It's so hard to just accept. Okay. Like if you're sick, you're like, I'm sick. Shit. You know it sucks, but like it's it's just gonna go away eventually. But when you know there's like something that can make it stop, it makes it so much worse because I I could not stop obsessing about that. So anyway, cop rolls up. I had these Viking. I'm dumping them on the ground. It's like a movie, man. He like rolls up right in front of me. I'm like dumping him out on the ground. I'm like, oh. <laughs> he like literally watches me dump these pills onto the ground. He comes up, looks at him, calls the pharmacy. Can you identify these pills for me? Those are Viking. So I get arrested. So I'm already out on bond for this crime, for this possession case in Aurora. I get arrested in Winnebago County. So according to state law, if you're if you get a crime, if you commit a crime while you're out on bond, according to Illinois state law, if you commit a crime while you're out on bond for another crime. When you get sentenced, it's automatic, um, what they call consecutive sentences, meaning you have to serve the sentence for the first crime and then 
you have to serve a whole other sentence for the second crime. Oh, wow. A lot of times if you commit two crimes in Illinois, they'll run the sentences concurrently. So you, if you if you rob a gas station and then they arrest you and they find you have heroin in your pocket, they might charge you for both of those. They might sentence you to both of those crimes, but you could serve the sentences at the same time. That's called concurrent sentencing. So I, however, received consecutive sentencing. So two years in Winnebago County, two years in Kane County. So it's four years. Uh, Illinois prison sentences for minor crimes are served at 50%. So I served two years in the Department of Corrections for possession of like five Vicodin pills and heroin residue. Wow. Uh, I did more, I've done more time for possession than for any other crime I've ever committed, which is ludicrous. So, but anyway, so I'm in prison and I'm like, I'm gonna better myself. So my problem is obviously, it's not my body. I thought of my body, I went to boot camp, that didn't work. It's obviously my mind, my spiritual. So I had, so I kind of got a good idea. It's my mind and my spirituality. That's what I need to focus on. And that is, that is super accurate. So I kind of, in a way, kind of like got the right idea, right? I got super into meditation. Uh, oh, and I had an artistic outlet. I was writing a lot, I was writing short stories. I read like 120 books. Like a lot of them were like self-help books, like, you know, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And like, uh, I don't know, this these books about like mindfulness meditation. I got like super, super into mindfulness meditation and yoga, I'd practice every day. You know, homies would make fun of me on the yard. Fuck a white boy over here. What the fuck? <laughs> Just soft ass. Um, but uh, I didn't care. This is my friend. You know, and um, but I do it. I do it every day. I meditate, and I uh, I got really into horticulture. Uh, my dad suggested moving to Carbondale, Illinois. I took this map. I stole a map from the. I was I was like doing like uh, um, teachers' aid for like these classes. These like GED classes. So I stole a map from the Encyclopedia of Illinois. You can't have maps in prison. It's like super illegal. Um, they don't want you to know where you are. But I, um, I had a pendulum made from like a rock and you can hold a pendulum over like different things and it'll spin a certain way if it's like, yes, and it'll spin other ways if it's like, no, this is real, it works. Um, so I held this pendulum over these like different cities in Illinois and it said Carbondale. It told me to move to Carbondale. And I was like, cool. I have a spiritual practice now. Um, I'm writing short stories. I'm into like gardening and work. I got a hobby. Um, going to a new place, right? Geographical change. It's gonna be awesome. I've never been to Carbondale before. It's way too far from like Chicago to be like popping up there. Um, Cause it's like six hours from Chicago. I mean, it is like far away, like, way too far to just like pop up there. Plus I didn't want to get high, right? So yeah. uh, um, it's never that I wanted to. Just, I just needed it to be very inaccessible. So I moved to Carbondale. My, grand, my grandfather died while I was in prison. Um, left me like a little bit of money, like three or $4,000. Um, enough for my like sister to, to take that and go give me an apartment at Carbondale. And for me to get like a beater, straight beater, uh, <laughs> 1994 um, Jeep Cherokee with like 250,000 miles on it. But anyway. The Jeeps are known for their longevity. Oh, dude, I had that car. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway. I moved to Carbondale. It's great, man. I got a job at like a natural foods co-op. It was like, I moved there and they were like, yo, here's this sweet job and here's some really cool friends. And like, it was like, it was always like I moved there and they were like, where you been, man? We've been waiting for you. Glad you're here. Here's, the, yeah. here's all the stuff. I got like set up and it was awesome. And I started, uh, you know, I started booking shows at uh, this DIY venue. I moved into like a show house. 
I um, was doing really fun, cool things. And um, then I started drinking like a lot. Was your thought process like, like my problem well, with just alcohol? Like, at first I just wanted to like meet people and like alcohol was never my problem, right? So I like, that's why I meet people. And I was on parole too. So like, I just really, I would go to the bar. I'd literally get like a pint glass of Coke and put one shot in it. And that's all I would drink. Just enough to kind of like, make it so I could like talk to some people. Take make the edge off, yeah. So, um, and it was really, it was like that for a while. And then, um, and then I would, I would go out like every once in a while. Like I wouldn't even go out all the time. And uh, then like the girl I was seeing, she went out of town. And I kind of like, I got a taste for like hooking up with like college girls. And so I'd like go out. So I started going out like every night and um, moved in that show house, got a really shitty reputation for like trying to bang like every girl I met and uh, <laughs> not, uh, not a great look, which I did not realize because I'd never really been that dude. I'd never been the dude who girls would want to like hook up with. I mean, I always had girlfriends, but never like the dude that like girls really wanted to like, hook up with. And uh, so like I got a, yeah, kind of a shitty reputation for that. Um, kind of lost a bunch of friends because I was drinking a lot and being like an asshole and being like just an idiot, you know? And I wasn't, I was like running this show house, but I was like having like too many events and it just, I was just doing too much, you know, and I'm the wrong things. And I just, I don't know, I sort of fell out of grace with like some people there. I still talk to a lot of people from there, but I um, started doing a lot of cocaine, you know, which people don't love that when you're doing cocaine a lot. Normal people, you know, they maybe will do a couple key bumps in the bathroom maybe, but they don't, you know, start buying two grams every couple of days and like, you come over to the show house and it's like all I'm doing is sit in a bedroom with a couple of homies doing blow all night. You know, it's right. Not, it's not normal. And uh, so anyway, I like, I leave there and uh, go back to Chicago. Super smart, right? And uh, I get a job. Now I'm from, I was living in Carbondale for like five years. Where like you could still make like eight fifty an hour. I had no idea that in Chicago minimum wage got up to like twelve dollars an hour or something like that. Yeah. So I had so I had found this like this this friend of a friend who was like squatting basically in this like apartment that he used to live in. Basically like some renters' rights, like they can't kick me out because it's the middle of winter. So we're just gonna like squat here and not pay rent. So I was making like twelve bucks an hour, forty hours a week and not paying rent. So like I was doing. I had a lot of money and enough where I could be like, well, maybe if I just go buy like one bag of heroin, what's the big deal? I got like $1,200 in my pocket, it's $10, you know? And, uh, fuck, dude. So it was like, they say that the disease progresses when you're not doing it. And it was like, immediately, dude, I'm doing like, you know, $50, $100 a day, like immediately. Because wow. I had like There's a- There's no ramping rate. up because you not haven't done it. I would say, not, let's not say like immediately, immediately, but like pretty quick though, you know? Um, but is that why a lot of people, uh, not a lot of, is that why people have a problem with going back into it later and taking too much because they're taking the amount that they took before they yeah, stopped? That, I think that's what happens. Yeah, is people, 
well or they try they do a little bit but like if your mindset is doing three bags at a time one bag seems like a little bit but if you've never if you haven't done it for a year one bag is enough to kill you right it seems like not very much so um but i was always super careful like i would just do like the tini- tiniest bit you know you can always do more you can less. and um anyway i fall in fall out with everybody in chicago you know i'm like homeless like real homeless like living on sleeping on top of dumpsters like hanging out with like homeless people like holding up signs and like intersections and shit and which i i could never really like embrace the homelessness so i feel like i never looked like dirty enough for people to give me money but uh at one point i thought people were following me around it got really bad it got really bad i had like a i still don't know what it was really kind of like a schizoid break from reality like a psychotic break from reality where i thought people were following me around i come out to rockford my dad wants me to work for him he was a concessionaire at rock cut state park for like 14 years and uh he wants me to work for him so i do i, I like kind of try to stop you know i didn't really want to be addicted to heroin again you know like i'd already been through all that i'm like 35 at this point and uh trying to stop it i'm like stealing money from my dad like all the time it's just too much money accessible and so not that it's his fault i'm just saying like for me to to not to be able to overcome those cravings it was just like too much cash around and um and then he found out i was stealing from like cash drawers that weren't open yet so like there's no way anybody could ever find out and then he found out when he went to open these registers um, for the season we got into it i left uh, and i go and i have to serve 30 days for this like driving on a suspended license suspended license thing in like woodford county and so i go do that and like I'm kicking this habit sucks you know but um but i do you know i kick it i'm in jail like, and I get out and I'm What is like, that like in jail? Like, what is it like to withdraw in jail? Well, it sucks. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's not I mean, is there, great, is, is there like a special medical wing for no. that? Or is it just like, no. the toilet's open in the middle of the room, do your best kind of thing? That's it. You nailed it. Wow. That's it. Jesus um, sometimes they'll put you in a cell by yourself. So at least when you're like shitting yourself, nobody, you know, nobody else is there. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, you just kick it, raw dog in reality. Wow. Um, so you uh, basically, it's sometimes it's a little easier in jail because there's no like, I just need to get ten bucks together, get a bag. There's there's none of that. It's not gonna happen. It does not exist. It's not around. There's no heroin. That's it. Um, so I, uh, man, it's so fucked up, man. My criminal thinking at this point is like on ten. So even like sober now, I'm thinking like about committing crimes and stuff. Cause like I was selling weed a lot in Carbondale, which is not like a big crime, but like I would also like, um, if I felt like it was like a corporation, like I would steal from a corporation, like shit. Um, my dad, I felt like, I felt like fuck him. Him and I were having major problems at that time. So I felt like fuck him, I'd steal from him. Um, my attitude had just gotten like way different, way, way, way different. And, um, so when I got out of jail, I was like, I'm not gonna, I had all this, I had this plan where I was gonna go like steal all this money from him. But when I got out of jail, I was like, maybe don't do that, you know? And uh, yeah, so I hitchhiked back to, man, dude, I had, it's so kind of crazy. Like I had this idea that I was gonna like move to Los Angeles and just like, I mean, like I can act pretty well. I was gonna like give it a shot, like balls out, like live on the street until it happens, you know? And just like, 
I have this philosophy, and we'll get into this later, but I have this philosophy that like, if you pour your whole self into something and don't hold back at all, like it'll happen. And that's my total, that's my total life philosophy. And uh, so I felt like I could make it happen. Well, I literally am like out of jail, I got a backpack, sleep bag, and I'm like hitchhiking. And there was this moment where I could go north to Rockford where it's comfortable, safe, or I could go south to Carbondale for like a day and then just start hitchhiking west where it's like unknown and like, what could happen? And I got really used to being comfortable. So I choose to go to Rockford where I knew people, it was safe and I, just for a couple of days, right? Just to get my mind right. And uh, so I go up there, of course, I do end up going to my dad and stealing a bunch of money from him and a handgun and like all this shit, you know? And so now there's a handgun involved. So my dad's got to call the cops because God knows what's going to happen with this handgun. Right. So uh, I blow through this money now I'm, heroin habits like crazy like I don't know 15 to 1600 bucks and I wasn't paying I did I did have a crowd couch to crash on and uh I'm buying heroin and the heroin in Rockford now at this point is like raw heroin you can't even I don't even know if you can get like cut heroin in Rockford anymore it's like all like raw heroin so it's like super fucking addictive there's like fentanyl in it and wow. like, I, almost, I almost like died one time doing an amount of heroin that I thought was too small to even affect me I like woke up on a bathroom floor with like half a syringe chain on my arm. Jesus. So I run out of money, you know? Dealer won't spot me any money anymore. I got this handgun though, I'm gonna try to sell it. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to like Bobby's on Broadway and try to bond this handgun. I don't even know if they take handguns. But uh, as I'm walking there, I walk past, oh no, I had these binoculars too, real nice binoculars. Like, I know it sounds stupid, but these are like high-end binoculars. I figure I can get at least like 10 or 20 bucks for a pawn shop for them. So uh, um, that was it. That was it. Was the binoculars? So like, because I had called and asked if they took guns, they said no. So um, little did I know, I probably would have got arrested right away. But anyway, so as I'm walking past this Dollar General, I'm like, something inside me was like, dude, just go rob that Dollar General. Like you know how wow. to do? Don't show them the gun. It's a lesser crime if you don't show them the gun. Um, it's called aggravated robbery. It's class one. It's probation. So uh, then I have this like rationale where it's like, well, either it was like something, I, don't know, I know it was me, I'm not saying it wasn't me, but like it was like something inside of me that felt different than me was like, okay, so you'll either get money and you'll get well, not dope sick, you won't be dope sick anymore, or you will get arrested and you'll get help. I was like, okay, all right, I guess that makes sense. And my like, I hadn't had any heroin in like 36 hours. So I was like, I was fucking hurting, man. Rock bottom one way or the other. Yeah, this is like this was like I hit rock bottom and got out like the jackhammer, you know, like let's see if I could get a little bit deeper. Um so I uh go and I tell them I got a gun, they don't hear me at first. <laughs> this poor cashier, man. I'm like, I got a gun, open the register. And she goes, What? I got a gun, unpeat the register, and she it clicked. She's like, Oh my god. She does it literally is like calling 911 as I'm walking out the door. I get caught like 30 minutes later, sitting outside trying to meet my heroin dealer. Didn't even get any heroin. They stopped me. They're like, they pull out like the exact dollar amount that was stolen from the store. And they're like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's, I got my paycheck, cash my paycheck today. Happens to be the exact dollar amount that was in wow. the cash register. So they take me to jail. And uh, so I sit in jail for like 10 months. I'm praying to everything, man. I'm praying to God, Satan, whoever will fucking listen. Um, I'm writing letters. 
to the my lawyer. Why well, did not this? Yeah, yeah. No more lawyers, by the way. Like this is all public defenders, you know. Yeah. And uh, I uh, get offered fourteen years. Wow. At fifty percent, that's still seven years. Yeah. Um, but I'm reading a lot of cases, right? I'm reading a lot of case law. There's a great law library. It's all on like a tablet now, so you can just have it in your cell and just read, read, read. And uh, I find out about this program called Drug Court. And I find out that the um, the approach had changed recently. Like uh, it used to be a thing that they would offer to people, first time offenders, um, but the approach had changed. And they actually um, had started offering it to repeat offenders, people who like had tr- been to DOC, had been on probation, who'd, who'd been on parole, who like multiple times and who like just can't seem to kick this drug habit and um so i started asking for it. i started asking my lawyer for it i started asking my public defender for it. i started wrote a letter to the state's attorney um and i know if i can get them to let me talk in court that they'll hear my voice this is uh, this is all my own manipulative mind i don't know if it works but i was like once they hear my voice they'll be like oh no he's he's okay we just need to get him help they'll they'll see i'm i'm like well spoken and like educated but right. like, he needs help, you know? And so I would like really try to like talk in court, you know? And, uh, and I don't know if it worked, but ultimately after 10 months in jail, I did get drug court. And, um, and I was like super serious, man. I was like, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm like 36, you know? It's not like, oh, he's just 20 something fucking around, you know? I'm like 36, dude. I'm like a grown ass fucking yeah. man dude in jail for the same fucking shit dude the same shit and uh so i'm like real serious like it's not i'm not bullshitting these people like i'm like i really for real for real want help and drug court is like like the most oversight that a person can have you have to call every single day walmart is not open on christmas drug court does not close Um, (laughs) so every single day you have to call this phone number and it will tell you whether you have to drug test or not. It'll say you are required to test today or do not test today. You do this every single day, every holiday, every weekend, just every like Russian roulette. Yeah. Just like- and it doesn't matter if you're in fucking Timbuktu, you better get back before this place fucking closes. Um, and, uh, and don't let them know you left the state. And, uh, but anyway, um, so, and on top of that, I'm going to like um, outpatient intense, what they call intensive outpatient every day, four days a week. So it's like three or four hour classes every day, four days a week. And they offered to let me out right away, but I had to go live at a homeless shelter. And I was like, fuck yeah, I don't give a shit. Let me out of fucking jail. I'm here long enough. I'll figure the fuck out. And then uh, that day I'm like, dude, I don't know, that doesn't feel right, man. So I call my public defender again. Now I've got a new public defender, the drug court public defender, Amy Zalab Peterman, awesome lady. Uh, we still talk. She's bought paintings for me. Like we're like we're like friends now. We still we That's Amy awesome. Zalab and I went out to coffee last week. Like we literally like are like homies now. And um, so I call her though, and I can tell she cares. She like really fucking cares, you know. I call her. I'm like, dude, I gotta talk to you. I don't know if like. I don't know if this is, I'm like, I'm getting choked up for some reason. I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea. 
think I should just wait for this halfway house. I don't think I should just get out of jail. I think I should just, I'll just sit here and wait. And she told me later on that that's how she knew I was serious because um, yeah. I was willing to stay in jail longer to move into a place with more oversight. Yeah. So uh, I waited. They told me it was going to be two more months. I mean, a month is a long time in county jail. There's nothing to do. There's no, there's no, this isn't, this isn't TV, man. There's no yard. There's no outside. It's fucking uh, slop and pancake, literal like cake and like, uh, like mixed vegetable medley every day for every meal, basically. Ugh. And uh, yeah, it's horrible. And uh, so I wait and it ends up being only like a month and uh, I wait and I get out. discover like 12 step programs in uh in jail and i uh i'm getting really emotional for some yeah reason. were you let me ask you this were you were you yeah. going to 12 step programs outside of jail or was no. it inside of the jail inside jail they come okay people come because I, 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 I took a buddy from oregon jail to a program in rockford once a week they like let him out of jail to go to this program oh. which i thought was pretty cool Sorry, of them so but yeah, I, I didn't. So they came to you. Yeah, there's probably no drug treatment in Oregon. You know what I mean? So they probably. I'm sure. Yeah. Work it how they probably work. Probably the it. one guy in jail. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Um, good food in Oval County. I've been there a couple times. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, so um, I uh, I get involved with twelve steps. You know, in a uh, in jail, people come in and they they host these meetings. It took me forever. It's been like five months to get into these meetings. But um, anyway, I uh, I'd always heard that like the people who go to a twelve step meeting when they get out are the people who make it. So um, I get out and I go into this like halfway house. It's not even a halfway house. It's like a recovery home. Like they have like twenty four seven staff. Like you can't leave. You have to make a schedule every week, and you cannot deviate from that schedule. Um, and when I get there, I'm like adamant. Like I'm gonna go to a meeting tonight. Like, I have to go. And they're like, no, no, yeah, trust me, you have to go. Um, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I want to. All right, cool. So they take me to this place called Eastside Howe and uh, hated it. Too many people, um, not my vibe, you know. And uh, they take me to this other place called The Group. Super cool, you know. And it's all like younger people who are drug addicts. And I loved it, you know. But uh, eventually I started not liking that. And so I went back to that Eastside Howe place and uh, they play music there on Saturdays. Everybody gets their little guitars out. We fucking, you know, jam out to some like whatever classic hits of Korean's Clearwater Revival and, you know, uh, Zombie. Who's that? What's that band? Zombie. Oh, uh, Cranberries? The Cranberries. Yeah, we jam yeah. that. I haven't gone for a while, but that's what got me to go back to there. And I was like, you know, now that I was a little bit more used to being around people and stuff, I was like, this is cool. There's like a bunch of people are happy here. They're not bummed out. They're like professional people. There's like doctors and lawyers and, and homeless people too, or uh, everything in between, you know? And uh, I'm living at this recovery home. Again, doing really well. Um, going to IOP every day, calling in every day, going to court, making the court laugh you know they love me and doing really well and uh they told me to get up in the morning and pray every day 
And I was like, but I don't like God, you know? And they were like, just whatever, just call it whatever. You like Satan? Call it Satan. I was like, okay, I'll call it Satan. So I'm praying to Satan every morning, you know? And uh, that kind of morphed into like the universe, which is what I call it now. Yeah. And, uh, I just did it because I'm fucking desperate, dude. I was yeah. fucking desperate, dude. I like, again, I'm like 36, but I got I, I cannot figure it out. I tried like to to beat my body into submission and discipline myself. I tried to uh, uh, intellectually um, better myself and uh, and move hundreds of miles away where I'd never been before. I tried the geographical ch- change so many times and just like nothing works. So I was like, I don't know. I'm in this cell and I find this book called uh, The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just want something to read, you know, because I got nothing to read. My cellmate was using it as a pillow. and. Uh, and uh, I come across this chapter that's called There is a Solution. And I get like really like, you know, I get really like I'm choking yeah. up. And uh, and I start crying in this jail cell because out of like gratitude, I'm like, oh my God, oh, there's a solution. Because I don't have a solution. I don't I try yeah. all things that I knew how to do. And, um, no, it's beyond fun anymore. It's not. Yeah, like, it wasn't fun, man. Yeah. It wasn't fun, dude, anymore. And uh, so I was like, just like, well, if they say there's a solution here, I'm just going to give it a shot. Because drugs and alcohol are not going anywhere. They're going to be around if I want them. If this solution doesn't work, I'll try to find another one. But I'm going to give this one a go. So I did, man. I got out. I found like a sponsor. I like worked the 12 steps pretty diligent, like diligently, not pretty diligently. I was fearless and thorough from the very start, prayed every day. And um, at a certain point, you get like passes, right? From the like the half the recovery home. And um, I like find out there's like, an art, I've always been into art. So I find out there's like an art opening at this place downtown called 317 Art Collective. And um, downtown Rockford. So I go down there and it turns out I know a couple people down here and um, kind of like I'm looking for studio space because I wanted to like somewhere I could go by myself, you know, to get away from like the halfway house where it's just like constantly people around you. I thought maybe if I met a girl, I could like bring her to the studio to hang out to you. And uh, so I, uh, so I um, started getting involved and I like, I think I'm going to write. I don't even like paint or anything. I mean, I used to in Carbondale, but I like never, before that I'd make weird like, like one thing I remember is like I found like the jawbone to a squirrel and I like hot glued it to a piece of cardboard and wrote kill yourself behind it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's nice to just weird shit like that. But like I never like did like art like 2D while hanging art, you know. But um you know I meet like a I meet people who sell their artwork. Like Ginny Matthews, yeah. who literally like makes a living doing that in art related activity. Yeah. And I was like, huh. I never even considered, I'd price my paintings for like $6.66 just to be like edgy or like $10,000 just cause like, fuck you. And like, no, nobody buy it, of course. Um, I just never saw it as like a thing. It was always me like being like silly kind of, I never thought I would sell artwork. So um, I kind of start painting. You know, I kind of just start trying some different stuff, just like abstract. And uh, just have fun with it, you know. Just when you get the bug, man, you just start doing it all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and this woman, 
Mary Bonavia, who was 12 years sober when she overdosed from heroin. She was a recovery coach. But at the time, she was working in recovering in drug court. She came out to my artwork and she commissioned me a $500 painting. She commissioned a $500 painting for me. And I was like, okay, this is like real money. Like, I could like do that. I could like maybe do this for real. So I um, quit my job. Well, it was a seasonal job. So when the job ended, I just did another one. Yeah. Super involved here. And I just started painting like all the time. And um, now I've been sort of like four years. I sold 25 paintings last year. No, I sold like 35 paintings last year. I never count wow. the small ones. My friends always tell me to count the small ones. I never count the small ones. But if you count the small ones. They like, count, dude. Hell yeah, they count. 35 paintings last year. Um, my last painting I sold for like $1,600. Jesus, that's um, awesome, man. And uh, I do have some ideas about how that works for people, how it worked for me anyway. So anyway, that's kind of like... <laughs> The like oh that's awesome the hour and 15 minute uh backstory now we could and you could just edit that however you want but <laughs> no nah, I, I want to keep it because i think it's it's so important because like even that moment where you start being honest with yourself mm -hmm. like that's such a that's such a big moment and i think your contrast you know is extreme with with what you're involved in and, and where you were at physically but I think it speaks to a lot of people that are, you know, kind of not being true to themselves and not being honest with themselves. And like, I can't continue to try to mask this because it's, it's, there's something in there that the other stuff just medicates away. Mm -hmm. But, you know, several times you reference like anxiety, social anxiety, like needing it to kind of be around people yeah you know 100%. and yeah i mean and when you start kind of doing that work which is hard work man it's hard work it, that's when you know you all of that other stuff that you it sounds like you were studying correct me if i'm wrong that kind of makes sense in a in another dimensional way you know it's like yeah. the mindfulness doesn't work in and of itself but connected to kind of that like universe it's like oh there is a whole bigger thing than me right so even yeah. like the the Dalai Lama talks about mindfulness meditation he says that like mindfulness meditation is a good start yeah. um, to getting like tapped into whatever it is it's probably just your highest self it's probably just like your highest most perfect self yeah that's probably what it is so like when I pray I pray to the universe but probably it's like if you could pray to your highest, most perfect self and say like, how would you have me live today? You'd probably be pretty awesome. You know? Right. Um, that highest self that's like tapped into collective consciousness that essentially is like a little piece of God. Um, yeah. That, that's what I believe. I believe that it's like a mosaic of, you know, we are all a, a fragment of God, if, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that's why it's so, you know, it is so natural to care for each other and to, you know, like the whole model of like having to pay to live somewhere is such a foreign thing. It's really weird. You know, you, you start like, thinking about it, it's really weird. It, and it's, it, to your point earlier, where you're talking about your politics, 
um, in your addiction, it's like you kind of, my buddy Heath, who is no longer with us, he uh, ended up going to prison for robbing a, a gas station. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he got out, he sat down with me. He got in with like the, the white power guys in prison. So his- Well, sometimes his you gotta do what you gotta do to survive, you know? Sure, I didn't, yeah. yeah but, but I definitely had like a, I was like the smart dude that people come ask questions to. So like I had like big dudes who I was like cool with because they would like want to have like intellectual conversation right. with me. Who like, I mean like dudes like big black power tattoos on their chest, you know, were like my friends. So like I never value. Had, yeah, right. Yeah, so I had like a value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I'm not gonna, I would hope that like I would never do that. But like also when you're in prison, man, you gotta kind of like survive to not totally. die. Yeah. Not get, not get fucked up all the time. But I remember him saying, like, he was, like, super ultra conservative when he got out. And he was like, you know, my problem was because I was so, I was such an entitled Democrat that I felt like I deserved everything. And politics aside, I think there is, I think you do start when you get this disdain for the way the world is. You kind Mm of can have this cognitive dissonance where you're like, I don't. I live outside of that. So I kind of, the rules of that don't apply to me. Right. So like, as, so for me, like, it's funny, I, I'm like the, like the opposite. Like I went from like super conservative to like, I'm much more, I wouldn't even say I'm liberal. I'm like, I'm like way left of liberal, but, uh, <laughs> right. but, uh, but my like sponsor is like pretty conservative. So like, I'm not, I'm not like a, an asshole about it, but, uh, but anyhow, uh, yeah. Oh, my cigarettes. But uh, anyway, like I um, I do think so, like as an artist, especially there's this kind of like idea that like I'm like I'm different. Right. I like think different. I've always thought that I was like different, that I thought differently that like I'm not like these like normal people, these non-playable characters or whatever they are. Um, but uh. That what I mean, I don't know. I still deal with that a little bit, but like that definitely has led me down a path of like, I feel like I can like, yeah, the, like like you said, like the rules of this life don't apply to me. When the obvious reality is that like, I can get addicted to fucking heroin. And that is like, for, sorry, I'm trying to find my cigarette. So like, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted. Um, hold on just a second. What the fuck? Anyway, so I, um, basically when it comes down to things like what works for like changing life is like, that's a big thing for me is like accepting life on like life's terms. Um, I think that, uh, It's tough, man, because like you don't want to. I don't want to like accept that like there's prejudice and racism and like oppression and drug addiction and like I don't want to like just accept that and be like, oh okay, it's just how it is, you know. And never like try to affect change or anything. Um. But sometimes for me, I think I have to like leave that up to other people because like 
I feel like it can be dangerous for me to get, I have been involved, I went to protests, like, you know, when all that was going on. Um, there's this line from this book I like a lot. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, um, it says, Righteous anger is the dubious luxury of normal people. And, uh, you know, I'm not a normal person. Uh, not necessarily in like a good way, but like I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. In recovery, yeah. But I have this disease. And um, so I don't get to be like righteously angry. I really try not to... Um, It's really easy for me to let emotions control me and I just don't know where it'll go. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Like I don't smoke totally. weed because I, I just don't know what'll happen. Right. Like that's similar to yeah. me. That's a big thing now, like the Cali sober. I wish, man. I love smoking yeah. Sure. And I don't like, so yeah. So this is another thing I want to talk about. People always say like, like, oh man, it's driving me crazy. But I get where it comes from. Um keep fighting or like you're strong stay strong you're strong enough to overcome this and i know they mean so well and i like i love it in a way when people say stuff like that to me because i know it, it makes me feel like they care about me but it's also um a total misunderstanding of like the problem of addiction because i'm not strong enough actually um, I had to like turn my life over to like the care of like the universe or my highest self or whatever because I just like Amen walking around here is actually not strong enough which has been made evident time and time and time again in my life um, and the fight like no dude if I fight I lose Yeah, 100% I fought for like almost two decades man I fought this disease for almost two decades but when I like surrendered to it and like got help and like cleaned out like the wreckage of my past and like worked on like overcoming my resentments and found like a spiritual practice that works for me and like tried to make amends to the people I'd harmed and continuously evaluate my life on like a daily basis as to like, what did I do today that was selfish or dishonest or deceitful? What did I do today that was awesome and helpful for people? That is like, in a way that's like surrendering to the disease, but it's like accepting the reality of the situation is that I have this disease that requires like a daily spiritual practice so that I can be reprieved like for today. Yeah. And it might go away for like a couple of days if I like don't do that, you know, or a couple of weeks or, but eventually it's gonna start excuse me, it's going to start coming back. It comes back in really fucking sneaky ways, man. Yeah. So uh, I'm not tense about it. I'm like super chill about it. I go to bars. I play pool. I like host art events where like everyone's drunk except for me. Um, my friends smoke weed around me. I don't care about any of that. 
because I have this like practice that works for me. Um, and I've like given myself over to it. I've like, that's awesome. So, yeah. So like I have this philosophy, right. That like, if you give yourself over to something entirely, that it will work out. So like one thing I say to people who like, and somebody told this to me, so I didn't come up with this. This artist, uh, Brett Hunter told me this, he said, uh, maybe he didn't even tell it to me. Maybe he heard, told it to somebody else. And I just took the idea, but, uh, basically if you want to like make it as an artist or like whatever you're doing, like quit your job, like just fucking quit your job. Cause it's just going to hold you back. Um, you gotta be hungry. You gotta make yourself hungry. Like if I don't sell paintings, like I don't have a place to live and I like don't eat like that's gonna, yeah. you're gonna figure it the fuck out if you do that. I mean, it's scary, right? It's fuck. it's, it's scary, but like, there's this sort of like, I don't know, man, there's like this and what I doesn't make the art, it'd be like, whatever you want to do, but there's this, like, I don't know, it sounds so dumb. There's like these, this like universal response to that. It's like yeah. the universe wants to take care of you. It like wants so bad for you to be happy, joyous and free. So like when you give yourself over to the complete care of the universe, and this is what I want out of my life, or maybe even not what I want. What do you think that I want? What should I have? And like, what the fuck? It's not going to let you fail. Yeah. What, like it's what, it's what it wants for you. So how could you fail? How, how, um, right. But the victory that, is in the surrender. Oh, surrender, man. That is like, yeah. so that's why I say like, it's not fighting, man. It's like the opposite of that. It's actually surrender. That gave me power. When I gave the care of my life over to a higher power is when I all of a sudden felt powerful. When I, when I gave myself over to the care of a higher power, I started feeling like myself. I started feeling more like myself than I've ever felt before in my life. And like, yeah, do I have social anxiety when I go places? Sometimes I do. I do yeah. sometimes. And, uh, but I also, I don't fight that either. I just accept it and go, yeah, dude, you're kind of like awkward sometimes. Which is funny because like in any therapy that I've been in for anxiety, they're like, the panic attacks are way worse when you fight the panic. Yeah. Attack. Right. And when you let the thoughts kind of pass through, yeah, yeah. it's still panic. It still sucks. But it, but it's not, at, it's weird. It's a weird thing that like really even weird. detaching from your own thoughts and being like, who's saying this? Because it's yeah. not me, you know, like oh, that kind of thing. It's like, I know. Yeah, I know. It, it, um, it's, it, it's wild. It's wild, man. I mean, that's like the, that's like the root of like mindfulness awareness meditation is just like letting thoughts arise without judgment. Yeah. Um, Which is so counter contradicting to yeah. the, the church that we grew up in or that we were in, you know, where it's like, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers right. and principalities and high places, man. We got to keep the fight. We are put on the armor of God. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, you know, behavior modification and like, you know, presenting the best version of yourself at every encounter and every, you know, I mean, that's exhausting. And that's like, that will fuck you up, like mentally. Coming out of that world, for me, it, it, 
it did feel like exile. It felt like, you know, going into out into the darkness. Like everybody that I knew and talked to every day and like worked with every day, for whatever reason, once you're out of that, you're like dead. Dude, Basically. I know. Like I, I was like, like the internship is supposed to be this like brotherhood, right? Like you're like right. brothers for life, you know? Like going. None. Yeah. No, not one person hit me up when I left. It's crazy. I mean, and it's like eat your own too. It's like, you know, if you if you fuck up here, you're gone. You know, oh, yeah. you're like, especially post Genie, to your point, like, yeah. It was like we're if it was, you know, if we like you, we'll ship you off to some other, you know, master's commission. If we don't like you, there's the door kind of thing. Yeah, which is, it's funny because when I was taking my buddy uh, to the program, I would obviously sit there with him. And it was an NA program, it was on 7th Street in Rockford. For an incredible group of people. And like, to your point, all walks of life, you know. And that was the most, in my opinion, authentic church environment right. that I've ever been around. I mean, it was decentralized. There was no like oh, yeah. pastor. Super decentralized. No leader. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we literally, like in the traditions, it literally says like, we do not have leaders. Yeah. Or, or, or we don't, we have leaders, but they don't govern. Our right. leaders do not govern. And um, it was like, got it was like, beautiful. Off meeting, right? Or shut it down. It's me talking about Jesus too much or whatever, but. Right. Um, but that's like those are things you like agree upon, and no, and you can't tell somebody to leave, right? Right. You can tell somebody, dude, don't talk about Jesus so much or whatever. But what are you gonna do if they do nothing? You can't. It's not like you can there was it. a guy. There was a gentleman. He came in kind of late in the meeting one night. I'll never forget this. And he was fucked up. He was sitting in a chair and he was like falling over. Right. And there, there were like these. I think they were like court appointed, like younger kids, like maybe yeah. in high school, maybe just out of. And they were kind of like snickering, like, look at dude. And the guy running the meeting uh, was just like, I'm fucking glad he's here. Yeah. You know, and that like, dude, my whole body just gets like yeah. chills when I think about that because it's like fucking community acceptance, like, you know, but also it, there's a realism to it. It's like, I can't fix you. I can't make you do anything. No. I can just share my shit. Mm-hmm. you share yours and hopefully you know it res the universe ties it all together and yeah i mean there is like a very clear like step process you know to like sure to like create a spiritual experience which is the whole goal the whole idea behind those programs is that recovery is only possible through a spiritual experience and i and i would never say that like i actually wouldn't say that it's only possible that way and like 12 step meetings, the books say that like, we don't have a monopoly on sobriety. Um, if a man can ever find out how to drink like a gentleman again, then our hat is off to it. Um, yeah. So like, but the idea though, is that alcoholics of a certain variety can only recover through a profound spiritual awakening. Yeah. And, uh, for me, that's been true. I've had friends hit me up and they're like, they don't want to do like what I do. And I'm like, I just don't know what to tell you, man. Like, yeah. this is what worked for me. And I can't really tell you like what's going to work for you if you don't want to do this, you know? I mean, like I said, I hope you find something that works for you, but 
I, I, this is all I can tell you is what worked for me. Um, I can say that like early on, um, a friend of mine, her name is Amanda Wallace. She uh, runs like a Instagram account called like Disco Theory. I think Disco Theory. Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, I just want to find it real quick so I can be sure to say to plug your shit. Um, yeah, the Disco Theory, Amanda Wallace. Anyway, she was like, she had posted this thing, and I haven't seen her in years. And she posted this thing that was like, uh, new, she's like kind of new age, you know, does anybody want to go on like a journey of discovery? Hit me a DM here, whatever. I'm like, dude, I'm on it. What's, what's up? What do I got to do? And then she tells me to write down all the stories that I could tell about my life. And it was not good stuff, right? I just got out of jail. I just committed an aggravated robbery. I had done some cool stuff, but it was all like years ago. And uh, the next day she's like, now write down the stories you want to be able to tell about your life. And I wrote down that I wanted to be like an artist and then I wanted to like travel and somehow mold those together and then help other addicts. Like somehow I want to like mold all that together, but definitely I wanted to be an artist and writer and travel. And uh, I don't know, man, that's what happened. So I think there is something about just like making yeah. your intention like super fucking clear and like writing it down. There is just yeah. something about that that just like, I don't know, I don't want to sound like, then we like manifested it. Like, <laughs> the secret. Know. Yeah, but there's something about that. I don't know. Man. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Please join us next week for the final act, uh, Act 3 of Eamon James. I appreciate you coming along the journey thus far. Jeff Isn't Working is a Laughing Heart production. You can find Eamon uh, on Instagram at Eamon James James. Uh, You can find Laughing Heart at at Laughing Heart Shy, C-H-I. Um... Give us a follow. Check out Eamon's art. Buy his art so he doesn't have to be homeless. Uh, it really is incredible. Um, yeah, thanks for coming along for the journey. Any feedback is always welcome. Feel free to message me uh, through that Instagram, Laughing Heart Shy, and just let me know, like, hey, the sound sucked. I couldn't really hear it. Uh, needs better music in the background, whatever. This is a work in progress, so I appreciate you guys coming along even at this level of the game. Uh, I love you all, and I hope you have a great week.